0: You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number seven. So two, Be ruthless about protecting your writing days, i.e. do not cave into the endless request to have, in quotes, essential and long overdue meetings on those days, end quote. J.K. Rowling. audiobook. If you want to order it, just head over to www.filmbizbook.com. That's film book.com. Enjoy today's episode with guest host Jason Buff.
1: Today we're talking with Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan of Black Vaughn Films. They're films Antisocial 2 and Bite just premiered at the Fantasia Fest up in Toronto and it's um supposedly somebody like threw up and in- Uh, it was so gross watching the movie Bite that somebody threw up. I think, you know, I don't know how true it is, but it's a great thing to, to, for publicity, you know, and I think they, they, after that, they started giving out like barf bags with their logo on it and everything. So, I mean, these, it's pretty amazing how they have been able to get out and find an audience. And, you know, as we talk about in the interview, they get out and they go to, horror fests and they go to cons and do you know they're they're out there really getting the word out about their films and that's how they've been able to build up an audience and one of the things we talk about a lot on this show is the key to filmmaking is finding your audience. That's all you need to have. If you want if you make a film and are able to sell it and get it out to people who want to see it, that's all you need. Let me go ahead and get to the interview. This is Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan. Okay. The first thing I wanted to talk about was just coming off of um Fantasia Fest and you know, one of the big things we talk about is distribution and how people are connecting with their audiences and um First, I'm kind of wondering how much of a role Fantasia Fest plays into your overall strategy for getting the word out. And how are things working nowadays with, with the way that VOD has kind of changed and DVDs aren't as big anymore? Can you talk about just the way that you're getting your film out there, how people can find it, and how you're connecting with your audience?
2: Um, well, I guess the whole Fantasia thing, we uh – we love going to this festival. It's it's fairly close to us. It's about eight hours from uh, where we live, so it's uh, it's been a staple. With I think we've had like eight films there over the years, um, but we you know we generally come up with you know thirty forty people, our entire cast and crew, and wow. uh, and we have a we have a great time up there. It's uh, it's kind of like our little vacation from the year. <laughs> uh, and I mean, it's just, aside from that, it is actually, you know, just one of the best festivals out there. It's, uh, it's run so well. Um, the organizers put so much effort into, uh, you know, picking great films and, and making it such a great experience. And the fans there, like the audiences are just, there's so much fun. Um, so I mean, we go up there with our films to premiere them, but we also love just going to actually watch movies and, and, uh, you know, just see what, see what's coming and see what's coming out next, I guess. Right. Um, yeah, I guess as far as, uh, getting our films out there, uh, you know, we, we have a sales team that goes out to all the markets and, and whatnot, like the AFMs and, and whatnot. But you know, it's, it's difficult with any indie film to really get noticed. And there's oh. just so many films out there. Uh, So, I mean, we try to, you know, first of all, I I guess, you know, we try to make okay movies, um, that, that we hope kind of end up getting, standing out in, in the sea of other indie horror films right now. Um, so, I mean, I think that's obviously the first thing that you got to try to do. Um, but aside, aside from that, I mean, we, you know, we use tons of social media stuff. Um, we, uh. Have worked hard over the years creating relationships with fans and, and whatnot. We go to tons of conventions and, um, you know, we're always, you know, trying to get out there and push our films and just as well push ourselves. Um, we, we hire a ton of different people on different shoots and, uh, we always try to treat people with respect and, uh, it, uh, I think that kind of gets a word out there a little bit too. I mean, at least right. in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and then aside from that, you know, we always come up with little marketing gigs, like we had little barf bags at the Byte <laughs> Um You know, we did a big antisocial uh, can thing at the uh, can market. Um, and yeah, I mean, just try to try to come up with interesting ideas to, to engage your audiences.
1: Right. Has it changed a lot since the technology has become cheaper and people aren't doing DVDs as much? I mean, is it a harder feel to get into like producing horror movies?
2: Oh, for sure. It's yeah. uh, it's completely different now and every year it gets a little bit harder, which is, mm-hmm. it's funny because it's like we, you know, make better movies every year, but the industry kind of gets a little more difficult every year. Um, but it's, uh, I, I mean, you used to be able to make a film and, sell it fairly easily because any distributor would be like okay well I mean we're going to sell a hundred thousand copies to the blockbusters and the Rogers out there instantly so you know there's actually no way we're going to lose money on these films Right. so there's just there was tons of money to be made back then and distributors nowadays uh, you know they have to really work to get people to, to watch it or rent it on iTunes or um, you know there's just so many films accessible to everyone at the you know touch of a button so it's It's, uh, it's now a matter of actually getting people to watch your films and getting people to actually like choose them out of the, the sea of other films. I mean, it's, it's definitely changed. It's, uh, and it's still changing and it's getting, you know, it's just, it's getting more difficult, but it's also just, it's getting, uh, different. Right. People are just having, having to come up with new ideas. And, you know, for years there's been, uh, you know, people in studios, you know, just being paid like, you know, tons of money to just sit there and try to figure out how to how to resolve the industry. Because it's, uh, you know, so many distributors have closed down. I think there's like, you know, 13% of the distributors out there are still, you know – still still kicking but i mean so many of the smaller guys just got ate up by big studios or just had to close their doors whenever um you know all the the dvd market collapsed
1: right do you feel like that has anything to do with people like doing more self-distribution or just the fact that it's you know people aren't renting dvds anymore there's no more there's really not like a physical product anymore
2: yeah i mean they're still out there um we still release all our our our, uh films on dvd and blu-ray Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's got to the point where I think people who are like real big fans who are like collectors of DVDs and whatnot, they're the ones who pick that those up. And, uh, the people who don't specifically have a giant DVD collection that, you know, um, they, they end up going on VOD and, and whatnot. So it's. It is hard, but there's still, you know, we go to tons of conventions and, and sell DVDs from a booth, and and there's still, you know, a lot of people out there that really, really like them. A lot of people are happy spending, you know, a few bucks on getting an actual physical product. It turns into kind of a collector's item, you know. Right. Whereas, you know, you buy it on iTunes and it just disappears
1: after. You can't. <laughs> you can't touch it. You know, it. autograph a download either. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
0: We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor
1: And now back to the show. Um, so what back in the early days, before you guys had kind of built up this following, what was your primary way of kind of getting the word out? Has it always been the same way, or, or have you you know have you used social media and have you, you used you know I mean, I guess my question is how can people who are kind of going in this into this for the first time, start building an audience and, you know, focusing on who their core audience is going to be. Um,
2: I think years ago, me and Cody actually traveled across Canada with a a movie called Never Lost. And we just, uh, you know, we we rented movie theaters from Montreal to Vancouver and uh, just kind of traveled every day. We would go to a different, Location, different theater, and try to, you know, sell or, or try to screen our film. Um, it actually proved to be very difficult. I mean, we had a, <laughs> we had a great time um, doing it and we met a ton of people, but it's uh, to, to make something like that really work and, and come out financially okay. Um, it's very difficult to get people to, to come and sit in a theater, especially if you don't have a following in that area you know like we can we can pack theater in Toronto cuz you know all our friends and family are from here but um but it was uh it was something that I think we were a little you know we learned a lot from doing it um and i mean even even when we were starting out like the the biggest thing i think that we did was just um you know try to um surround ourselves and and work with a ton of people who are really passionate and uh just from from their passion and excitement about the films you know they would spread it to other people and it, you know it's it's not like it was making a huge difference in the industry or anything but for us you know little guys just making a movie uh it does help get the word out there you know if you post something on social media then you have you know 10 other people posting it as well and you know, all their friends on all the different pages see it. And, you know, it kind of spreads like that. Um, and I mean, we also, you know, we went to, we'd rent out theaters around Toronto and Guelph and whatnot and, and, screen, screen some of our films there and just try to make a big show of it. We, uh, we screened a film years ago where we had, you know, we had a big party at a bar and we invited the cast and crew and whoever wanted to come and we had bands play and at the end of the night it was like the big trailer release and we, you know, released the trailer there. And then we, you know, a few months later we went and we had another bigger party and we had, you know, more bands play and we released a new trailer that was there. And uh the third band was like or the third time was like a release where we showed a few of our music videos for the bands that were playing there, and we showed the trailers and we released tickets for the actual Uh, screening at the Cineplex, and we ended up selling out three or four theaters, Uh, which was, you know, it was great, but that was, you know, back in the day whenever, you know, there wasn't YouTube, (laughs) not not today this, but...
1: No but that that's exactly the kind of things that I hear from a lot of people now which is you know not if you want to have success filmmaking especially you know way outside you know in the indie film market you really have to become your your own giant publicity machine you know and and connect with people versus some other people who want to you know have a company that's like they're going to make their film and then they're just going to go out and sell it to a distributor that that doesn't really seem to exist as much anymore
2: Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely a challenge. Everything's a challenge. And I mean, you have to take advantage of the things that don't cost money. Um, and ideas are one of those things that, uh, you know, you can often come up with ideas that you can do cheap or, or, um, I I think if you try to kind of think like a publicist a little bit, um, Mm -hmm. just finding different angles of, you know, how you can promote something. Um, you know, we had... Talked about years ago, antisocial, which was, uh, you know, it was kind of like what if Facebook turned all its users into zombies? And we, had, <laughs> you know, we were going to get, you know, little super cheap USB keys and put the trailers on them, and, you know, hand them out to everyone um, on the streets and stuff like that. So you know, people would get a little USB key, which would you know be a buck or two, and uh, you know, on on the USB key there would be like this, you know, social media horror movie. So, <laughs> but i mean i think just even doing that there's there's the value of people actually picking up the um the product like the usb key or whatever but there's also a value in just just meeting people right and being like oh so you guys are the actual filmmakers and you're actually on the street it's almost like years ago when you're in line for like a concert and like a guy would come over and be like, here's my band's tape. We're just handing them out to everyone. And <laughs> I'd, go home and I'd like listen to the tape and be like, I met that guy. And uh-huh. then, you know, I think nothing face did that years, years ago. And I remember like being like, I Old met school. Guy. Yeah,
3: had to be this tape.
2: And now he's, you know, and now I'm watching music videos on, on much music when they played music videos. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, so tell different
1: me.
3: Era.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's my era too. Uh, but, uh, well, let me, let me ask you one more thing about distribution and then I'm, I'm gonna change focus to, uh, you know, screenwriting and some of the other aspects. Um, now, right now you've got Antisocial 2 and you've got Byte and they both premiered at, um, um, Fantasia Fest. Um, what, what is the, where do they, where do you go from there in terms of, like, I mean, are you guys kind of out of the, the process now? Are you just doing publicity or are you actually involved with where it's going to be going in terms of like U.S. distribution, European, you know, all that stuff. Is that like, where are you right now in that process?
2: Um, I think we're, we're, we're lucky enough to work with a studio um, right now called Breakthrough Entertainment and they have a team of people who, uh, you know, we we've reached out to and sat down and discussing the festivals that the films are going to be in, or at least, reach out to and apply to. And uh, they also take it, you know, out as far as uh, into the industry for sales. Um, so, I mean, we do our little part with the people that we know um, to help out. Uh, but in all honesty, we're, we're on our next film already. Okay. We uh, we have a eight-picture deal with Breakthrough Entertainment uh, over two years. So we've just finished shooting the third of eight films. And we're uh, we're editing it right now and getting ready to go into production on uh, the next five. So,
1: so what, that's like four four films per year. Uh, yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, let's let's <laughs> go into that a little bit because that seems to me that seems insane. I mean, it seems like a, you guys probably you know may stop to eat for two seconds and then you go back to work. Is that kind of your lifestyle now?
2: That's kind of that's kind of why I said Fantasia was our our holiday because it's got away for nine days, and and as soon as we got back, we're uh, back to work. It's funny, Cody's actually uh, away right now working on Bed of the Dead, which is the the third film that we're doing with, uh, with Jeff Mahar, who directed it.
1: Okay, so, so can we talk a little bit about? Yeah, I think no, go ahead. Sorry.
4: No, it was just funny because I think we. Uh, we drove back from Montreal, and I think i I slept in my bed for like six hours and then got up and drove to a cottage where we set up like all our edits edit suites and I've been here since Fantasia.
2: <laughs> and that's it it's like we have to kind of do these uh these endurance trips of of getting things done um so i mean it's uh it it is insane i mean we uh we really we're excited going into this slate of films. Uh, And I think the hardest thing is actually just, just getting all the concepts together and getting them all approved by the studio and whatnot, because, you know, like we said, it's, it all starts with your idea and your concept being unique. If it's not a unique idea, then there's, you know, it's going to be very different, difficult to stand out.
1: Well, there obviously has to be a, profitable aspect of what you guys are doing, you know? So, I mean, to, to attract a company like, um, breakthrough, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think the industry is, you know, the industry is still buying movies and there's still uh you know, I think there's still a spot in it for sure. If you, if you make quality films, right. um, and yeah, I think, uh, breakthrough is also kind of, you know, I think they've seen a lot of the films that we had done in the past for, you know, $10. <laughs> and uh, they can they can see you know where we've come and where we're going and and they really want to kind of invest in our future as well. So this is uh, this is a first step to
1: it. Okay. Now I wanted to sidetrack or for just a second. <laughs> <everywhere>. <laughs> I wanted to sidetrack for one second because I I was uh, reading one of your interviews, Chad specifically, um, about Desperate Souls, which you made I think when you were 22, right? Yeah. Now, you mentioned that you kind of messed up the sound and everything, and you had some issues with that, but ended up selling it to Lionsgate and Alliance Films, right? Yeah. Okay. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now, back to the show. Can you just describe how that happened, or how it's possible that, you know... Um, to do something like that because I, I hear so many nightmare stories about filmmaking and things going wrong and people who are never able you know their film ends up sitting in a closet somewhere you know, despite their best efforts and everything. and I, I was just wondering how that kind of happened or if you can talk a little bit about that.:
2: Yeah, um, you know we went out and we made this movie and we made every mistake in the book. Um, we, we shot it and all the audio was so horrible that uh, there's generators in the background of everything. I, I went out and bought three redheads, so like three 1K lights and lit the whole movie with that. I was just clueless. All we knew is that there was these cameras, these DVX-100s that shot... Uh,
1: sorry. There's a huge bang outside. Uh, anyways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought it was an explosion. And that was the last we heard of, Chad. <laughs> oh.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, anyways, there's was... Uh, these cameras, DVX100s, that were the first cameras to really shoot 24p. Uh, so it's basically, you know, that moment when, you know, a prosumer, prosumer camera stopped looking like your home video, right?
3: Uh-huh.
2: Uh, so we we had pre-ordered two of those, and I mean, I know at that point before then, it's like, you know, to to go out and film a movie on a prosumer camera, it still had a very videoy look. Right. Um, so these. Was were- that is that HD? Uh no, that was standard death.
1: Right. Yeah, so that's what I thought.
2: Yeah. So it uh so we went out and we shot this movie, you know, we literally thought we could shoot in a week and it took, you know, two years. Of course. We we're so clueless. <laughs> um and uh yeah, we uh we made every mistake in the book. I ended up having to build a sound room in my basement and I re recorded every line of dialogue, every sound, every movement, every footstep. Um in this room in Vegas video and uh, linked it all up and made the M&E and, and because I had figured out what an m and was at that point. <laughs> uh, and yeah, and then released the movie. I, I, you know, we went and, and met with some people in Toronto. It's uh, it's kind of, it's difficult because, well, it's funny because so many people think it's, you know, so hard to, to set up meetings with people in the industry. But I mean, if you have, product if you have you know an idea or whatever it's like it's really not that hard like people are generally you know interested in finding what what's out there and finding you know connecting with people uh, so we always say that in in meetings or whatever it's like you know reach out and and try to try to meet with people like we we meet with people all the time Just people are like hey you know I'm trying to get into film and you know, would love to buy you a beer that's that's what entices us apparently uh, <laughs> But uh, anyways, yeah, we, uh, you know, got it to someone who, who was interested. And back then, there's still, again, Rogers videos and, and all those stores. So uh, they looked at it and they were like, you know, this is uh, it's a complete movie. It's got all the pieces. It's got all the deliverables, um, which are a whole other story. But uh, we got it all together and and sold it to Lionsgate and Lions lettuce. And I, it's just – it's the worst movie ever. Like I wouldn't be able to give it away. It's,
1: it's, it's just – it's horrible um, that's a first but, on the show <laughs> but,
2: but it's uh, but the fact is we we made every mistake in the book and right. um, I think from that experience that's where a lot of the knowledge that I have now about filmmaking came from you know I I think the problem with people is that you know people getting into the industry right now is they're so eager to just like jump into making a, a film and you know, sorry, that's kind of what we did do. So I'm not saying it's wrong. <laughs> um, but I mean, like there's technology out there, the iPhones or whatever. It's like go out and just make mistakes, man. Make every mistake that you can possibly do and work on making and fixing it and figuring, you know, figuring out exactly what you have to do to make a movie. And, uh, then whenever you actually get some money and, and put it into a film or if you're investing your own money, you know, you can, you can have a better chance of it. You know, getting completed for one. Again, yeah, there's so many people out there that that start, they jump into a feature and underestimate it and don't know how to, you know, resolve issues on them uh, by themselves whenever you know shit hits the Fed. So, right. I think it's uh, it's important if you don't have the money, you have to be able to trust yourself to figure it out to get the project done.
1: Now you you mentioned deliverables and said that was a whole other topic. Can you just briefly talk about deliverables, the importance of, you know, having the things that you need to give for to make sure the film is all legal and everything, just the the kind of most important things?
2: Um well, I mean, I think, you know, you have to have your contracts with all your cast and crew and whatnot. Um there's there's different kinds of deliverables. There's deliverables if you want to sell the film, but if you want to do tax credits, it's a whole other list of deliverables um but i mean it's you know anything that you can think that you think you might be liable for right you know location agreements um you know if you're using music from someone or if someone's doing the score you know you make sure they have signed some paperwork um and a lot of the templates are you know good enough online you can search them search them all up just basically anyone you work with who's adding anything creative just make sure they have something um or if you're working, you know, if you do know a distributor or, or want to reach out to anyone and just say, you know, can you send me a list of what you would ask for if you bought a film? Um, and, you know, you have all your different, you know, anemones like your music and effects tracks. So, you know, when you when you release a film, you have uh, you have to deliver one track that's all your dialogue. Um, then you have to release additional tracks that are basically all the sound effects in the movie. So. You know, footsteps, clothes, uh, explosions, uh, all the music. And basically, then if you sell it to Japan, they can go, they can delete your dialogue track. They still have all the other sounds of the movie. And then they can dub over, you know, beautifully uh, in Japanese. That's right. (laughs) Uh, And then, of course, like your trailers, your poster elements, uh, you know, 50 stills, uh, you know, stills from set. Uh, poster material.
1: Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, so moving into building a project, okay, and um, what I want to talk for a second about your process for screenwriting because a lot of our – we talk a lot with screenwriters and, and I'm a screenwriter and um, people like to know what – can you talk a little bit about your process for beginning a project and how you kind of start putting together – your screenplays and especially since you guys are kind of cranking stuff out, how, what is the secret if you've found one for kind of getting to your final draft of a a screenplay quickly and effectively?
2: That's you codes. (laughs) (laughs)
4: Um, I, well, I think we used to, me and Chad used to, uh, write a lot more because we would make one or maybe two movies a year. Um, but now since we're, we are doing so much. We we spend sort of less time actually writing scripts and more time just coming up with um, solid solid concepts and then bringing on new uh, new writers. And I think for us, um, I mean, obviously, with every every movie, we do something good, and we're like, okay, we got to do we got to remember that and do that again. But for every good thing, there's 50 bad things we do. And I think as as we've sort of grown, um, you know. Writing and, you know, helping other people write and then getting people to write for us is just trying to trying to keep our ideas, um, you know, fun and simple and clean. Because I think both me and Chad have made movies where at some point in time, there's a character who needs to explain something. Uh I think I think we both had that moment of like, well, I can't cut the scene because I'm I need to get this information across. But I wish I could go back because no, at no point in, in a movie should somebody sit down in front of somebody and go and take a deep breath and explain why you're watching the film. <laughs> <laughs> and, you I know, know. And, I, and I've done it, and, and I, I know lots of filmmakers do it. But I think for us, it's like every time we make a movie, um, you know, we'll sit at Fantasia and then <laughs> leave and go talk to each other and be like, okay, so let's never do that again. Let's never do this. <laughs> But everybody loved that, so let's make sure we do that again. So I feel like every every movie, even though they're all so so different, like Antisocial Social Two and Bite, I don't even know if you can compare them, how different they are. But both of them came out of what we learned from you know, The Drownsman and Sublet and Antisocial Social One. And it's and it's funny because it's like all of those movies are so different, but still filmmaking comes down to like some pretty simple rules that. You can play with and try to break, but um, there's some things you just have to stick to because every time we, we don't, you can see the audience's reactions or read about it in a review. <laughs> you get well, out, so you what, know, what are those
1: uh, big mistakes then that you learn from? <laughs> we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to the show.
3: Okay.
0: <laughs>
4: Well, I, I I say I would say that the biggest one is is having a having a concept that um that is that is cool enough that the audience goes, "Oh, okay, oh that's interesting and something a little different, but don't go so wacky that you need a character to explain why you're watching the film um and like, you know, even on antisocial, social it took us forever to try to figure out a way to tell the audience that um Facebook, but you know, in our case, the website's called uh, Red Room. How does, how does this website, you know, basically possess people and why is it doing it without having one character talk to you for five minutes? So it was about getting all those pieces of information and subtly trying to put, give them to different characters at different times. So by the time the, you know, the hammer comes down and it's like, this is the thing that's killing people, you already have enough to put everything together. So that we don't have to explain a lot, um, I think that one for for us is the the biggest. And also, um, trying to trying to keep when you're when you do such graphic horror movies where you know people are throwing up at a theater, you got to remember that like for an hour and a half, if you're going to be that disgusting, that you kind of you should add a little bit of humor mm-hmm. just just to release the audience here and there. And I think sometimes, you know, I mean, for me personally, I can get so, so into a movie and so intense about it that I want it to be so serious. But sometimes you kind of have to step back and go, okay, well, this is a movie about Facebook turning people into zombies. So (laughs) let's tread lightly on the on the serious factor.
1: So do you start out with a kind of a blueprint and put the whole thing together, you know, before you actually start writing or do you just kind of jump in?
4: Um, Usually it's like child will call me like he'll be driving home and he'll call me or something and be like what about a movie and like you know da, 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 and I'll call him and with with an idea and usually we go through I don't know recently we've gone through about 50 different ideas just trying to to find the right one to to put our time into to writing but I feel like for us it's not it's not that we we take an idea and we work on it so long that we figure out how to make it work but we wait until there's that spark, or something different, or like, okay, cool. I haven't seen that before. And usually we 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 wait for each other's reaction. And if the reaction is like, okay, that's really cool, then we keep developing. But I don't. We we go through so many different ideas. And sometimes we'll you know we'll we'll write a 12 page treatment, send it to each other, and the other person's like, nah, not feeling it. <laughs> start again. Like my desktop has like, there's a a folder called old movies. And I was just looking at it now, and there's there's probably 24 treatments in there.
1: None of which they have make, <laughs> right? Do you do you have any um, kind of go to structure that you use when you're like plotting things together? I mean, do you ever use something like Save the Cat or or Hero's Journey or anything like that? Or I assume for a horror movie, it's a little bit different.
4: Yeah, I mean, Save the Cat's got some. I mean, that books that book's great um, because I do think no matter whether it's horror, or drama, or comedy or whatever, there is there is structure things that have worked forever so that. So, you know, there's some things to, to keep in mind and especially if it's your, if it's your first film, I would never tell anybody to not experiment. I think that's the point of making movies, but you know, there's some things like that you need to, um, you need, you need to stick to like, you know, like giving your, your character a reason to be in the story and not just being like, okay, I'm going to go make a horror movie. So I'm going to spend, you know, all the money on blood and gore because that's what people want to see. It's like, I think, you know, I I think there's so many movies I think our audiences are getting smarter and I think you got to be you got to make something that's about people and stuff before, you know, heads are exploding. Not that we right. don't do that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing as well is that uh, that we've gotten used to doing and I think this is a little bit more of a pr- producer writing thing is that um you know, you make sure that you can pull off what you're writing. So if you already know what your budget's going to be, um, or if you know that you're going to be doing it on your own with your friends, um, it's about coming up with ideas that you can – that you know that you can pull off well, opposed to coming out like creating ideas that are, are so big that you're just setting yourself up for failure. Um, we've – me and Cody have done it in the past. Um, so many other filmmakers I know have done it. Where it's like, you know, they've got a bunch of cops coming in and it's like as soon as you see the cops, they're just like a bunch of kids and they're like just wearing all these like <laughs> whatever blue dress shirts that are all right. big and wonky and it just takes you out of the whole story. Um, well,
4: yeah, and it's you know, you're reading the script. It's like, you know, the bad guys walk out and there's a riot scene and then you go to shoot it and it's like your four buddies, your grips, your gaffers, and there's like 10 people in the shot and you're like, i not going <laughs> to
2: and none of them are actors, so they're all like, you know, there's always a the guy who's laughing in the back and <laughs> staring at the camera. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So moving on from screenwriting, um, going into pre-production, I'm going to try to get through this as fast as possible because this is, this is the kind of stuff people need to know. A lot of people want to be in your shoes. Um, the, um, there's the touchy subject of, um, budgeting, investing and, Kind of having an idea of what a film can make. Can you guys discuss that a little bit and how you figure out, okay, we can, for example, you know, a hundred thousand dollars, half a million dollars, a million dollars going up and up and up. It's like, how is there some sort of information you can give us about how all that works and how you, you budget?
2: people love that question it's so funny how often people ask
1: it they're like what's that what's a sweet spot like what's yeah
2: well <laughs> that's like you know you make a movie for that and you're gonna make your money back or you know it's um i mean it it's different because and you always have to say this at the start is it, it does come down to your concept um you know you can make a movie for a hundred grand that has a really good idea and it could you know go insane it could it could make you millions it could you know be huge or you could make a movie for a hundred grand and it could not sell anywhere so I mean it always does come down to your concept and you know the quality of you know filmmaking that you're uh, that you're dealing with um, so I mean there is no sweet spot that's always going to be like you know this is this is the safe area you're always going to make your money back now there's accounting things like for example if you wanted to use you know tax credits. Um, you know, you can look at your budget and be like, all right, we're going to invest this much and we'll get this much back in tax credits. And, you know, it's always a percentage. So it's, you know, depends on what your entire budget is, but, uh, it's, uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff that we do is non-union. Um, and, uh, I mean, we do things like 80 social too, which union, um, so there's obviously a big gap there. Uh, when you go non-union, you can, you can shoot stuff for a lot cheaper. Um, and there's, a you know, less rules that are going to uh, demand your funds. Um, but, I mean, I think if you, you know, if you go and you make a million-dollar film, you're probably going to want to go union because you're going to want to like, to get some names in it that that's going to help sell your product. Because I think it does kind of, unless your film's a complete breakout hit, um, it does cap out a little bit. You know, if you don't have any names in your movie – um, it can be really, really awesome and still, you know, a lot of distributors will be like, mm, I'm not going to buy that or I'm going to buy it for this much money because it's, it's got nobody in it. Um, so, but I mean, you know, there's, there's exceptions to every rule. You know, if people are looking for safe answers, that's, that's your safe answer is that, you know, if you're going to, you know, make a movie for a million bucks, you got to make sure you try to get some names in it. Um, if you're going to make a movie for nothing, then uh, make sure you got a good concept to sell it.
1: Um, yeah. And so where, where exactly do you find the money? <laughs> <laughs> Where's the money? Um, that's... Yeah, well, do you have any like phone numbers and addresses? Ah, people... <laughs> uh, yes. See,
4: there's the best answer. If we could answer that, this podcast would be amazing.
1: <laughs> All right, well, I won't hold you to that. Um <laughs>
2: It's <laughs> not the industry. They released the
1: phone number. <laughs> it's like we, we've got all these phone calls from this guy. Um, okay, so the, yeah, the main thing I, I'm what I've been seeing is just you have to really. It's like any business, you have to build something that people are going to to be interested in. You have to have an actor or actors or you know somebody with a a track record. You know, I always advise people, you know, if you want to make a movie for one hundred thousand dollars, make a movie for ten thousand dollars or whatever you can afford at that moment. And then, you know, build up, you know, and I, I I don't know how you guys feel about that. But it just seems like most people that are making films, it's like they start out with something really low budget and just kind of and even just shorts, you know, and then slowly move up with the next project. And as long as they can demonstrate that they have a track record, they're going to you know, be able to keep making movies we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor
0: and now back to the show
2: yeah well i mean it's so it's so tricky and it's so like there there's like filmmakers do need to be to have a sense of responsibility for everyone else because it's it's become an issue over the years um now that everyone can make a movie um there's so many people out there that are like you know I've never made a movie, but I just think that I was born to make a movie. Um, So I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to, uh, you know, all these lawyers and dentists or whatever the hell and um, (laughs) raise some money. And we're going to go out and we're going to make the best movie ever because I was born to make movies and I watch a ton of movies. So I'm just going to be the best at it. Um, And then they go out and they, you know, make a shitty film or a great film who knows, but uh, chances are, like anything else it's like you get better at doing something by doing it um and there's a lot of people that raise a lot of money and lose a lot of money for people in the industry uh or not not in the industry there's a lot of people who you know sit back and they look and they're like oh this is like you know my sister in law's cousin's son and he's a filmmaker and he's telling me he's gonna you know hit the jackpot with this movie and i'm gonna give them 50 grand and they're gonna give me back 200 grand because that's what his little paper proposal told me um and then they go in and invest the funds and into someone who's you know made a little booklet that looks really awesome but uh has no idea what they're doing um and you know then then that person you know gets burnt and Tells his story that you know never invest in a film, you'll lose all your money, and then independent like independent people like financing films like that are uh, you know they're never going to do it again. Um, I think everyone should be working together and and you know raising responsible numbers to try to be like okay how would I get ten grand from you even if you if I lose it all and there's nothing back like I mean I could print off DVDs and sell. Ten grand worth in you know a while, you know it's like there's still right. you know it's it's not that much money, so you can like you, you can still recoup it for someone. Um, but I mean we, you know me and Cody know people who have invested millions of dollars in products that never got finished, um, and it's uh, it's sad, but it's you know it hurts everyone in the industry, and it's a you know it's it's a responsibility now that everyone has the power to actually make a movie. You know you can go out and buy. You know, a camera for three thousand dollars and make a, you know, a movie that could be a hit. So technology is not really a factor anymore. It's just, uh, yeah, you know, there's people out there that have have done that. They've gone and raised a million dollars and went and shot a movie with like casting their buddies in it. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I, again, like I'm not saying don't be ambitious, but I just mean you know try to try to figure out what you're doing before you start spending people's money on it.
1: Yeah, it's funny because you know back when I was. More, you know, in the age in my 20s, trying to make films, I, uh, I had a couple. I think I had three friends who got money by showing people El Mariachi, and they get like they had they had an investor meeting. They were like, "Look at this movie, and look how much money this movie's made," you know. And they went out and they shot their own movie, and nobody ever saw. It. I mean, this was back in the days of like you know 16, 35 millimeter, and it was a lot more expensive, but. It was always funny to be like everybody was using the same one example or clerks or you know back in like the late 90s you know
4: yeah yeah,
2: yeah. that was uh
4: that's it <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, I mean it's, too, it's like, <laughs> you know to, to go and and try to and try to find money and uh, I mean me and me and Chad and a few people we spent a bunch of money and shot trailers for movies that we wanted to make and we thought okay so we're going to go out we're going to make these shows we're going to make them look super high quality great little concepts try to get the stories across in these short little uh, um two to three minute trailers and then start setting up meetings because we have something to show that'll show what we can do show that we can direct blah 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 and uh it's funny because uh, i think we made four of them and we pitched some, but, and just kind of realized that it's like, people are like, okay, that's cool. But it doesn't, you know, it doesn't show numbers. It doesn't show you guys can make money back. But when we met breakthrough, we showed them the trailers and it was funny because they, they, they didn't necessarily want to make those movies. But when we showed them the trailers, they were kind of like, okay, if you guys can do, if you guys can do that, we'll give you a tiny bit of tiny bit of money and we'll see if we'll see if this works. And that was, that was any sort of one, but I mean, half of why we got that was, A trailer for a completely different movie but at least we you know put all our effort into that and we didn't spend too much money getting a getting a pitch piece ready because that's the other thing too is don't spend 20 grand getting something together to pitch to get money for a movie make a movie
2: yeah exactly and we uh like we we also you know there's a ton of people out there that'll be like Oh, we've got a, uh, this DP and he just did a huge film. So we're going to put all of his stuff in our reels saying that, you know, our team has made it. Um, where, you know, he may have had a ton of money and, you know, a whole different, uh, group of filmmakers, you know, it's, it, it is about our, the team that you're working with. Um, everything we went to breakthrough with was stuff that, you know, our team had, had made specifically so you know we can we can say that whenever we walked in it's like it's not like we're just pulling people's reels and creating a team that's never worked together on a budget so low um and saying that we can pull off you know what you're seeing here this was us going in there being like we made this with you know out of our own pocket with the team that we currently have to do this this film so
1: you get the feeling that a lot of these companies just want to make sure that you know you guys kind of know what you're doing and it's like, okay, well we can, you know, I, we just want to see that they can, they have a beautiful image. They have good actors. They have, they, you know what I mean? It's like they're, they're, they know how to make a movie, you know, versus a lot of these people who, you know, you never know. I get people that send me their shorts all the time and some of them look, you know, high end, professionally shot, amazing. And others just look like somebody with their, you know, handy cam walking around or their iPhone and and have no sense of, you know, cinematography, movement, storytelling, or anything, you know?
2: Yeah, and it's weird because there's been, like, we've got a ton of shorts and stuff sent to us, and sometimes it's like you look at them and they're just a mess, but you, you can see something in them, and you're like, cool. Let me know what you guys <laughs> did. Because I feel right? like the next thing that they do, they're going to learn from their mistakes on this one, you know? And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I, I think, it does come down to just proving yourself, making sure that, you know, people know that, that, um, you can handle, um, produce a good product,
3: uh-huh.
2: but also just, again, it does come down to concept. Like if, uh, if Cody didn't pitch this idea of Facebook, turning people into zombies and the studio didn't like that, it didn't matter what we actually did. Um, it does come down to, we have a concept concept in the industry. You know, people say concept is currency. So, that's how you get places. So, I mean, you can have, you know, tons of actors and tons of uh, people involved and whatnot, and you bring it all together. And if you don't have a concept that's going to stand out, then, you know, you're going to get turned out. So it is uh, – when it all comes down to it, it's about, you know, coming up with that idea that's going to stand out.
1: Okay. Let me – I'm yeah. going to try and do a little more rapid fire because yeah. I, I know you guys are pressed for time. I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry. <laughs> what are you saying? There's a little Sorry. delay. <laughs> Okay, so um, moving into production, who are the most um, you know you, you've got your screenplay, where do you go from there? What do you start? Um, do you work with like movie magic, start working on the budget, hire a line producer? How does what is the from the end of the screenplay to the beginning of the filming kind of what what happens there
3: uh, So usually
2: what we do is once we get a, a treatment or a script approved. Um we, you know, create our basic budget of the idea and uh we start assembling our team. We're lucky enough we work with a lot of the same people, because um, 'cause we're doing so many films back to back. But we've worked hard on, you know, building a crew of people that we really trust, we really enjoy working with and and respect. Um and I mean that's you know, it's another thing that we tell everyone is, you know, find people that you're happy working with. Um I get to work with Cody every day, he's my, you know, best bud. And, it's uh, it's 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 fun because it doesn't seem like work you know mm-hmm. uh, obviously there's some days it really do <laughs> <laughs> it's more fun to uh, to work For
3: with yourself. people you
2: like to put along with and respect um, and there's uh, there's a lot of people out there in the industry that want to make movies and uh, you know there's a lot of people that let it go to their heads uh, really right that you know once the pressure's once the pressure's on of making a film um, you know, they get angry or frustrated or, uh, you know, blow up or whatnot. So, I mean, we, uh, we work really hard to find people who, you know, work really hard, deal with stress well, and, uh, are always, always able to kind of put a smile on their face. And
0: we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show.
2: And, uh, and, continue on the day. So, I mean, it's, it really makes a difference. Everyone on our crew treats each other with respect. Um, you know, it's a key with, with us doing all these films um, is that everyone, everyone you know gets along and if there's an issue, you know, we all talk about it and we all figure out how to, how to deal with it. We don't fire people. We don't, you know, we don't uh, blow up at people. You never hear people yelling and screaming at each other on our sets. Um, we make a point of making sure that we got a crew that's, it's, passionate and we're all in it together and we're, you know, we say black fawn family all the time. You know, we all, we're all like brothers and sisters that can bicker and whatnot, but in the end we're always, we always have each other's back. Um, anyway, so we call all these people that we like and, uh, see, you know, see if they're able to come out and, uh, set up a crew, figure out, you know, if it's a studio, if the build we're going to do, um, get people involved there and our pre-production times are pretty quick. Um, I mean, we had, I think, three or four weeks of pre-production on um, Byte, and that's like literally from, you know, we got the script like finished three weeks before we started shooting. Um, so, you know, it, it all has come together really quick. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's almost like a checklist for us now here. Here's mm. the people that we need. Let's call them, figure out where are we going to lodge people? Where are we going to shoot this? Where, you know, what do what elements do we need? Um, to do this, our gear, um, we've, again, because we've, we're doing so many films, we've set up relationships with uh, William F. White. So, you know, every show, that we, every movie that we're doing, we just, you know, we call them. Everything's, all our, our accounts are all set up. Everything's ready. We just got to call us um, discuss what we're doing. And, you know, they've got our back on everything. You know, Panavision does all our cameras. Um, as well as, you know, some support from additional camera houses um but it's uh you know we've got it laid out with people that we really trust and, and work well with and you know luckily we can we can kind of make all these calls fairly quickly and get everything together that's from like a producing standpoint uh-huh. i guess from a directing standpoint it's uh you know it's it's even more of a challenge to to get a film ready so quickly uh, and i mean we're not we haven't done a it's not like we go and storyboard all of our stuff with the storyboard artist and, you know, as amazing as that would be. Um, that's one of the luxuries that we don't, that we're always jealous of because we are making these films so quickly. That we do have to, you know, we end up with a, with a little booklet of like chicken scratch where it's like, you know, we've, we've storyboarded everything out, but I mean, it's almost like it's in Chinese. It's so, it's so boring. <laughs> but i mean whenever you sit there and actually you know go through it with uh with the dp you can uh decipher it all and, and get on the same page and you know we you know sometimes we print them off and you know give them to everyone show everyone what we're doing every day uh, so and,
1: you yeah. just arrive in the morning with like okay we're going to do you know this establishing shot then we're going to do a, a close up here then we're going to and you just kind of put all that together the night before and then arrive and do the shot list? Is that kind of how it works?
2: Yeah. Like, I mean, we have our ID who breaks down the whole schedule um, and works with us on figuring out the best way that we can we can do this. And, uh, you know, just go through, uh, you know, they send their calls out to everyone the day before. Everyone gets it. They kind of give a little skim of what we're doing, what rooms we're in. Um, at the end of our days, we generally try to, you know, have a little discussion with our uh, lighting team going on and what we're doing first the next day and, you know, how we can get a jump on the day. Cause that's always the biggest challenge is getting the first shot off. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, it's, a uh,
3: yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, Do you have any advice for like, I, I, um, recently watched the drownsman and the quality of the image on that is incredible. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know what the budget was on the film, but I was wondering if there were any sort of tricks or tips that you had for, you know, getting that kind of production value and working at that kind of like budget level. Um, Do you Drowsman, light each shot or is it just like you light the whole thing and then shoot from different areas?
2: Um, I think on the Drownsman, depending on, on where, where we're talking about, like we have the, the Drownsman there was a set that we had built. Right. And uh, I mean, you know, so many people talk about lighting and uh, and cameras and and lenses and whatnot, but I mean, it's it's something that people just that miss from like an indie perspective. Um, so many people just just totally skimp out on set design and art direction, um, filling your frame with things. And Cody came from a, a art background, so uh, you know, when me and him started working together on stuff, I really learned a lot from him and uh kind of his insights on that um because it is you know it's like you light something beautifully you can you can have a great camera and, but if if your frame's not um the pieces aren't all in the right spots then uh you know it's not gonna it's not gonna be the shot that you're looking for um so even like things like the drownsman like we we've built a bunch of our sets and when we build their sets it's literally like it's us building the sets. It's not like, you know, we hire a big, you know, we have a, a small team of people that we really trust that are so hardworking. And, uh, we all get together and, and build these sets in a few days. And it's, you know, it's tired. It's, it's nights that we're, you know, pulling, you know, 30 hour days and, and whatnot to actually build them. But we do it so that we can actually have that control where we can, you know, put elements wherever we want put them to, to, um, create our frames and whatnot. So it's, uh, to start off, you know, that's how we, we try to, you know, make things look great. Grounds and Lair was completely, you know, we decided that we can't shoot that in a basement. Um, we don't want to be limited by, you know, your standard basement rips that look like every other indie film. Um, you know, we wanted to use water and we wanted to flood the place and, you know, we can't do that inside a studio or inside someone's basement. So,
3: um,
2: <laughs> so yeah. <Right. laughs> I mean, we could do it, but you know, again, burning right. locations
1: and people. We you can do, do it once, <laughs> <laughs>
2: but uh, but as far as you know, you set up your room and you have your your basic setup of like this is this is kind of the, the look that we're going to have. This is our standard look for this room, um, and then according like depending on how you're shooting things, you you know you have floating lights moving around. You have uh, you know, whatever you need to kind of uh, entice the shot a little bit. And I mean, also, you know, keeping continuity with everything as much as, you know, you move lights around, um, in between shots and, you know, make every shot look great. You also, you know, you don't want to go from a shot, a wide where your actor's face is shadowed and, then you know, you push into close up and it's like, they're beautifully lit, you know, it's right. about, uh, it's about understanding the lighting for all the shots. When you start, when you start on your watch you know, um, but I mean, that, it's often not it's it's just about kind of creating creating your atmosphere, filling your frame, using you know using the foreground and uh, the background. We had uh, in the Drownedman layer, we decided we wanted to use these kind of old aquariums, um, and we kind of like hid them amongst all. I think they were like old um, tomato plants that had dried up from my backyard. <laughs> um, that we had kind of dangled over everything just to kind of give everything a little bit more textures, stuff that light can kind of touch opposed to just having flat holes. Right. Um, and then we, we took all these aquariums, you know, filled them with dirty water and leaves and crap. And then we threw, threw lights, little lights to behind them, like just, uh, little kinos or short kinos or whatever. And, uh, Lit them all up. So then, you know, as they're walking through here, there's no like the only light source is kind of like these weird, like, dirty, musty aquariums, um, or at least that—that's what the illusion that that's the only light source is. These things, and they're always, you know, there's always some, something kind of glowing in the background, and you know, a, a dirty water just kind of has like a little bit of a gradient to it to kind of, you know, create something a little interesting and um, just visually appealing in the background. Yeah. You know?
3: Right.
1: Now can you talk a little bit about uh sorry, <laughs> I interrupted you again. Damn Skype. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> it's like doing a broadcast bro- broadcast to the Middle East or something. Um okay, so I wanna one of the things that always jumps out at me, um, literally is, uh you know, these scenes, these really gut-wrenching horror scenes uh where, you know, you've got your actress there, you've got, you know, they're being dragged off or something horrible is happening to them. Can you talk a little bit about directing a scene like that, how it feels being on set during something like that? Because it just, like, I've, I've always been curious how, you know, just what are you talking about? Do you cut the camera, cut the scene and everybody's laughing two seconds later or what, what kind of, what's that like? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor.
0: And now back to the show. Uh, I don't know. Codes.
4: Um, I don't know. Sometimes it, go, it can, it could go either way. Like sometimes it's, you know you'll you'll shoot a scene where where you know the bad guys getting killed or whatever and there's a huge explosion of blood and and it's sort of as soon as you cut the camera it's like you know the gore guys are cheering and everybody's laughing cuz it's you know it is a little ridiculous but then sometimes <laughs> you have those scenes where you know it the actors get so into it and you get so into it and you're you're pushing for the best performance and you sort of get a performance that's that's like real. And so, you know, so I think it goes either way. Cause I've, you know, we've had times where, you know, the scene ends, we say cut and it's just silence. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, holy shit. Okay. Right. I think we got that. We can move on. Um, I think it kind of depends what, what the scene, you know, what the scene is, you know, if it's, if it's somebody running around with a chainsaw, <laughs> cutting people off and there's blood spraying everywhere, we usually get a, a pretty positive response from our crew. But if it's something more, Emotional, then, you know. Sometimes it's one of those ones where um I can't remember the exact scene, but I remember shooting some with Jeff Mahar, who's our who's our usually our DP for everything. And you know, I said cut, and he just sort of looked at me, and he was like, sort of had that holy shit look on his face, and said, like, "Okay, <laughs> now we're moving on. So let's go to scene scene thirty four. That was twenty minutes before this when you were happy."
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, it's uh. We yeah uh, we did the film bite and it uh, it was full of you know gooey gross disgusting eggs and uh, and dripping like it, it supposed to almost be like mucus um, so it was really like when you watch the film it's 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 pretty gross but on set it was uh you know you kn- you kind of know when you've got something good because. Um, you get those reactions, right? That's kind of, that's like what he was talking about whenever you have a big gore scene and it's like blood explodes everywhere. It's like you always like hope that whenever it's done and you call it cut, everyone cheers and like, you know, love it. it's always a bummer whenever you do one of those scenes and it goes, shit. And it just doesn't <laughs> really work. And everyone goes like, okay. Um, and it's quiet. It's like, ah, shit. You always want that cheer at the end, you know? You want that. Um, with Bite, it was like anytime this, the stringy mucus stuff that like, and as soon as it stuck to something, it would be like webs. It would kind of, you know, it was really very gross. Um, And, uh, you know, we had so much fun making that movie because, you know, as soon as we'd call it cut, it'd be like,
3: ah,
2: so gross. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And you'd get the reaction. So, and, and yeah, but I mean, I think when it does come down to, to shooting the actual coverage of your, of your cast or so many, you know, depending on what your movie is, if it's a you know if it's just a serious moment and uh they have to stay in character, you know, a lot of times we'll keep everyone quiet. Uh, or we'll even, you know, try to keep as few people on set as possible. Um but yeah, I mean we we've shot a bunch of films. We we haven't gone into that territory of like dirty, dark, like truly disturbing like upsetting scenes um that are so uncomfortable to even shoot um i'm sure we will eventually <laughs> so we've been, a lot of our films have had a little bit of a lighter tone to them
1: okay <laughs> sure um <laughs> yeah they're pretty pretty lighthearted we're, family uh, movies we're fans i
2: mean like we're not making like Serbian film or something like that. You know, it's like, I can't, I can't, I don't know how people would yeah. react on a, a disturbing scene like some of those. Sorry, I had a whole discussion about that movie today. So it's like, that's what I, that's what I think. <laughs> like I look at our movie and I'm like, eh, they're pretty, pretty lighthearted, hearted, you know, joking around. and um, You know, some of our stuff is a little cartoony even, but. Uh, Who was that? I, yeah, I didn't,
1: I didn't, I didn't hear you
2: some of our stuff is even, you know, sometimes a little jokey and cartoony. No, but, but what film
1: did you say that you, you were talking about?
2: Uh, Serbian film. Oh, okay. Which is, I don't know if you, yeah,
1: yeah, it, yeah. Well, I haven't seen it. effort about it, <laughs> but I haven't, you know, it's not on my list.
2: So right Actually, so like, <laughs> I was thinking about scenes like that. It's like, cause I, I do, I, I've often wondered, uh, I, the scenes that are truly disturbing, um, or like rape scenes or anything like that. It's like, you know, we haven't done anything like that. And I'm sure it's a, it's a tone that um, I'm sure there's a weird tone on set for those. I think, think it would probably be a, you know, something that would be very awkward to, to direct or, you know, you would really have to put a lot of, uh, pay a lot of attention to um, how you're treating everyone and your actors and, and respect. And, you know, if you're, you know, doing very serious scene and you want to make sure that everyone chills after, like take big breaks in between, or if you just want to shoot, keep shooting and you know, everyone can go cry at the end of it. I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Talking about the, I'm, I'm trying to wrap up a little bit cause I know you guys have to go. Um, how do you deal with the emotional stress of shooting and everything? Is there any, any way that you have uh, been able to kind of, cause I mean, you guys, you're shooting a lot of movies, but I mean, for a lot of, like, normal people, it's, it's I mean, probably the most stressful thing you can do, you know? Um, is there any way that you've learned to deal with that, overcoming, you know, doubts or, or any sort of psychological aspect of, of filmmaking that you can discuss?
4: I think, um, I mean, that's kind of the great thing about Black Fawn and myself and Chad, because I think we, we lean on each other a lot. And we share, um, like, when, when I'm directing, I lean on him a lot. And when he's directing, he leans on me a lot. So it's like, at least we know when we go into a film, even if we're not directing and we're producing, at least we know when we go into a film that we, there's somebody else there. If if something goes wrong or something's like, just we can't handle something, at least there's some other, some other person there to powwow with or to, you know, just so we're not ever doing it on our own. But I'd say for me, what I've learned over making movies is, you know, the minute you get there, put a hundred percent into everything while you're there. Um, but just, you know, try not to take everything home, mm-hmm. you know, like leave, leave, leave some of it. Even though it's a pat, it's, it's hard because filmmaking is, you know, 50% work, 50% passion. So it's hard to leave it sometimes. But I mean, for me, I think it's made me a better filmmaker, not taking it home, not dwelling on it and, not allowing myself to sleep because I'm thinking about a scene tomorrow and I can't figure it out. So I don't know, for me, I, I, I try my my hardest and then that's not to say that I don't do it, but I try my hardest to sort of give, give it all on there. And then, you know, I'll still think about it at home, but I try not to bring it all home.
2: Yeah. And it's, it's weird. Like filmmaking is weird, especially indie filmmaking. Um, The majority of the projects we do are overly ambitious uh, but just enough we'd like to think um, so it's it's one of those things that it's like you get out what you put into it every day which is it is i think it's kind of a dangerous concept it's almost like you know you're you're swimming in the ocean and you're doing a contest and the more water you drink um, the better are you, you that's how you're gonna win you're just gonna mm. keep drinking water and the more water, who whoever drinks the most water wins where it's like, it's endless. It's not like you're going to drink all the water. You know, it's like when you go to make a movie, it's like, there's always more you can do. There's always things that can make the shots better or make your days go better or make your, um, you know, film go better or more takes. And like, it's, it's never done. So, I mean, um, there are points, um, especially directing when you're just like, you're pushing so hard and you're like, you know, you just want it to be better and better and better and bigger and bigger. And, you know, you you have to kind of control yourself so that you don't get, you know, one shot done in a day. Um, It's uh, so, I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's always, it's always a struggle and it's always stressful. Um, And yeah, like Cody said, uh, you know, having, working with people that you trust and, and being able to kind of lean on each other, and uh, knowing that you're all in it together and you're all trying to make it work is uh, is definitely what kind of gets us through through our shoots because we uh you know we tend to do very long days.
1: Now, how how long do you guys usually shoot uh, like a typical film you know Bite or Antisocial Two or, or The Drownsman? How how long do those t- take to shoot?
2: Um, I mean they're all different. Uh, I think Bite took about 15 days and 15 days in in Ontario and then we shot an additional two or three days and
0: (laughs) we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show
2: Um, so I mean they're all different but again it does come down to you know your how ambitious you're going to be Drownsman was oh man we just kept going back for more shoots and more Uh, anytime you're dealing with water, things like that, it just gets, uh, so insane. So it's, uh, it, it, I mean, we probably shot 30 days on Drownsman if you actually add them all up. Um, I think in social Two, we shot a a fair bit more than we planned as well. Not too many. I I bet you we shot like, you know, 20 days or something like that on any social Two. Um, yeah, and, and, uh, we usually have an editor on set as well who, uh, who edits as we go. So we kind of get to actually, you know, on day two, we see day one's footage or we see day one scenes cut together.
1: Right. I, I was going to ask uh, you that. So you can kind of see what, if you, if you miss anything or whatever, you can just do a quick reshoot while you have okay. everything set up, right?
2: Exactly. So you can kind of run over and grab a shot that you missed or at least put it on a list and come on back on a weekend or something like that to, uh, to grab it. Um, so I mean that definitely that definitely helps us move, and and it also gives you know the entire cast and crew and everyone a little bit of uh it's exciting you know it's like you're watching something and you see some scenes come together and they look really really good and you can kind of you know show the cast a little bit of their performance you know give them a little taste of of what we're doing um, you know there's a lot of ways where the cast go and uh, they do an entire film then they go and they sit in the theater and watch it and they're like oh my god this is horrible um (laughs) and i mean but we all do i'm sure cast of some of our earlier films uh do that as well um uh but at least being able to kind of show them so they have they have a confidence and the crew has a confidence that everyone's building something that's going to look really good and uh and come out you know it's it's a good way to kind of get everyone excited about the project and keep uh keep everyone's passion levels up high
1: Okay, so moving into post-production, just a couple more questions. Um,
2: I think we may have lost lost Cody. Oh,
1: yeah? Yeah. Let me see. (laughs) (laughs) That's not good. Hold on a second. Yeah, he doesn't look like he's on there. Maybe he had to leave. Um, Yeah. Let me see. I can try to. He's like, dude, no more. Uh (laughs) Uh, come off that it won't let him return on. and he's oh, Let me, let me put him back on. Uh, ch- ch- there we go. <laughs> uh, we we're like, where did you go, man? We were all, we were concerned. I don't want to let him know that we didn't notice he wasn't there. You there, Cody? Hey, man. Yeah. Sorry about that. Always. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So let me, let me launch into uh, a few more quick questions about posts just for our, my, my people here. Um, the, uh, getting into the post-production process, um, how long does that typically last and what is the kind of, um, can you walk through what happens first, what happens next? Just so people have a general idea of how it all comes together.
2: Yeah. Um, we like i was saying we do um, a lot of our editing on set uh so by the time we're done shooting the movie you know 80% of it's uh ideally cut uh and i, I we have fairly fast turnarounds on our films i think we shot by in december and it screened at the Cannes market in may um wow <laughs> so Again, like we, like we were saying, with uh, with all the outlets that we have for production, we do the same in post. Um, you know, Red Lab in Toronto does all of our color correct um, for each one of our films, and we've worked out a deal, so they know when it's coming in. Um, Urban Post does our post sound, uh, you know, so we, we create our schedules with all of them, and, uh, you know, we get an edit together, and we uh, take it to the studio, we sit down with them, and, and kind of get everyone's input. And... Uh, trim it down, make whatever changes you need to, lock our picture, send it off to Red Lab, um, sit in there and do our color sessions with them, send it off to Urban. (laughs) They work on uh, on all their sound edits. For whatever reason, we always end up on some crazy deadline, like it's going to screen somewhere. And, uh, you know, it's a a big panic to actually get it all done. Uh, But, I mean, luckily we have um, such great companies that we're working with um, in post that... You know they they work really hard to to make it all happen. To I think they get excited when they see you know they get to work on something that they get to see in a theater like two weeks later.
1: <laughs> and in terms of um the the Drownsman, which is I I haven't been able to see the the other two movies because they're not out yet. Um, but um you work with George Flores on that, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I worked with uh, I worked with George a bunch of times on that uh,
1: because George uh, is a friend of mine actually. I love George. He's, yeah. <laughs> George, he he George. always he taught me more about filmmaking, I think. When I was starting a, a small film um, down here, and he was just one of the people that I was talking with about doing post-sound. And he would just sit there for, you know, and talk about all these things that we needed to make sure we had and everything. I mean, just very generous with his time. So I'm, I'm, I I want to make sure I promote George on the, the show.
2: Absolutely. You no, know, George did a, a film called Never Lost. Uh with me years ago, and he uh, did the Johnson And, uh, you know, we had uh, such a great time working on both those films. And, uh, yeah, I definitely am a huge supporter of George as well.
1: So, the typical time from editing and doing sound, and when, when do you uh, work with, um, like, soundtrack music and things like that?
2: Uh, so, we have, um, like, for example, and any Social, Bite, all those films were scored by. Um, a woman named Steph Copeland, mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, we, we get along with, we work so well with her, and, uh, she's so talented. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll work on many more films after this, but, uh, you know, she loves to come in early as well and just kind of even see some of the edits, or, you know, she's already got stuff that she's working on before she even sees that it's where she's just read the script and she's getting ideas and, and, uh, building from, she's again, very passionate, uh, uh, artist who, uh, uh, just is always working hard, always, you know, really excited to a, a projects and whatnot, you know? Uh, so mm-hmm. we, uh, as soon as we have a picture lock, that's kind of what everyone's always waiting on. Everyone's excited to be like, okay, picture lock, picture lock, picture lock. So as soon as we get it, we kind of, you know, press the go button and it goes to her, it goes to uh, urban post, it goes to uh, the red lab and uh,
3: everyone gets to start working on it kind of at once.
1: Okay, well, guys, I don't want to take much in let me just ask you one final um question how uh what can you give just a little bit of advice to people out there who haven't made their first film and are you know wanting to you know get out and kinda of do what you guys have done? Do you have any sort of like you know if you could go into a time machine and tell yourself before you started what what kind of advice would you give yourself
2: um, I mean the things that that I would say are definitely. Uh, like we're doing now, um, we work on tons of different ideas to find the right one. Um, I would say spend the time. Don't don't get excited with a with, with an idea that is just a you know generic throwaway idea and just to dive at it to make a movie. Um, you know, make sure you spend spend your time. A lot of people write scripts because they're you know they sit down and they just plow through a script just so, as if it's like if they have a script they're going to make a good movie. You know, so work hard make sure you understand your concept or your, your film that you're going to make and make sure you really want to make it. Um, Cause that's it too. A lot of people lose passion halfway through. They realize it. it's like, yeah, this film's not really, I don't really care about it. Um, <laughs> okay. So I mean, figure out, figure out what you want to make and then figure out a concept that you're really passionate about the, you, you know, you think unique and, you know, it matters what you want to do. Are you making a film to create an art piece? Are you making a film to sell to the market? Are you trying to go for, you know, something that's going to make funds back? Or are you trying to do something that's, you know, an art piece? Um, you kind of have to know what you're going to do before you go into it. Um, and then after that, again, take your time and find the right people to work with. Um, there's a lot of great people in the film industry, like any other, in the industry. There's a lot of great people and there's a lot of people um, that it's actually counterproductive to work with. Um, so find find the right people you want to work with, surround yourself with them, um, and find talented people. And and I mean if you you know go out and show how passionate you are and 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 show people give people confidence um, that you know what your your plan is and you've you've worked hard to organize it and um, figure things out. Then uh, you know they will have confidence in you. Um, and then aside from that, just go out on your own, even with your iPhone and shoot some stupid stuff with your friends. Um, you know, it's, there's a reason why in film school, they're like, all right, go, go do an action scene, go do a chase scene, go do these. Cause like, they don't want you to come back with a beautiful chase scene. They want you to go realize the mistakes and the, the issues that you're going to, that are going to arise whenever you make a, a chase scene, you know? Um, just so the next time you do it you you've already gone through a few steps at least and and, and learned you know if you do 10 chasings, your 11th one is going to be amazing you know, it's going to be even better than the other one so that's um you know don't be don't be afraid to go out and make crappy shorts or whatever like don't they, they don't even have to be shorts you don't even have to get giant crews together it's about you know um understanding how to do these things uh, and it doesn't take big can or anything it's it's the same as everything else you know you just gotta go out and, and make your mistakes and learn from them
1: alright guys I really appreciate it thanks a lot for uh, coming on the show and uh, I look forward to seeing Antisocial 2 and Bite. Um, uh but anyway thanks a lot guys <laughs> thanks so much, man alright that's gonna do it for today my thanks to Chad Archibald and Cody Callahan of Black Fawn Films and we'll see you next Tuesday I want to thank Jason
0: so much for doing such an amazing job with this episode. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at indiefilmhustle.com forward slash 702. And if you haven't already, please head over to filmmakingpodcast.com. Subscribe and leave a good review for the show. It really helps us out a lot, guys. Thank you again so much for listening, guys. As always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive. Stay safe out there, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com.